0: What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Today's guest is an NCAA wrestling champion, Bellator champion, American Olympic wrestler, retired UFC fighter, and is now preparing to defeat Jake Paul in the boxing ring. More importantly than all of that, at least to us, is that Ben is a Bitcoiner, podcaster, and thought leader in the crypto space. I wanted to have Ben on to discuss his thoughts on this Bitcoin cycle and some of the recent news events going on in the crypto space, and to see if he could offer some insight as to whether athletes are becoming increasingly interested in crypto. So without further ado, introducing our guest, fighting out of the red corner, Ben Funky Askrin.
1: What's up? I'm excited to be here.
0: What's up, man? Thank you. So once again, you're listening to the Wolf of Wall Street's podcast, which airs twice a week, and I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics. This podcast is powered by BlockWorks, the fastest-growing media company in the digital asset space. BlockWorks has 20 Bitcoin and crypto podcasts. I'm excited to be part of their network. Visit blockworks.co for access to the highest quality information in the space. And if you like the podcast and follow me on Twitter, check out my website, join my newsletter. You can do both of those things at the thewolfofallstreets.io. Now to get into what's important. So your, your nickname is Funky. For the fans that don't know, why do people call you that?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, they actually started from wrestling. Uh, when, when the current style of wrestling was starting to happen in the late 90s, they just called it funk. And then I kind of reinvented and took it to a new level in the mid 2000s and you know that was kind of what i was being known for and then my buddy just made a shirt well that's funny i'm wearing a funky shirt right now so my <laughs> buddy actually this 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 middle figure right here this guy my buddy just uh, he was a kind of like artistic i guess and he just uh put it on a shirt and he put funky above it and then he wore two ncas and uh it like caught on you know espn put it on camera and, uh, it, it I could try, try to get rid of it a couple of times, but it stuck. And then, you know, at that point, there's no use in fighting it anymore. And I just went with it. And, uh, you know what, the, the longer I stick with it, the more I enjoy it. Cause it is, especially in the MMA space, it's like different, you know, there's like, yeah, so many like assassins or killers or, you know, and so it's <laughs> nice to be differentiated a little bit what what is the funk style of wrestling for, for those who don't know yeah well i mean this is funny cuz it kind of play i think i feel like it plays into my whole mindset and why i got into crypto or i guess why crypto got into me so easily is it's it's an extension of everything that's already happening and so you know not to get into i, I don't want to get too technical but say someone shoots a high crotch right well the first basic defense is a down block the second basic defense is a sprawl And ideally we'd like to be perfect and those two would work, but at certain times they get in so deep that you, those two defenses are gone. So at that point you could say, okay, I guess he got this far. I'm giving up a takedown or you could try to kind of reinvent and think of a new way to defend it. And that was kind of um, where I went with a lot of positions. And a lot of those things I went to are, like I said, in 2000, so I wrestled 2003 to 2007 in college and when I was doing them back then, people were just like, oh, "What the hell is he doing? He's rolling around, weird shit." Um, <laughs> and you know, and now um, most people, at least, they have to have uh, a pretty solid understanding to succeed at a high level, higher level folkstyle wrestling. Um, and then certain guys are even taking it far past what I did at that point in time.
0: So it's it's largely about improvisation and being able to react to a situation that gets basically out of your control or is something that you don't expect. Kind of perfect for crypto markets. And being
1: (laughs) being open to new ideas, I think is the the, the, I think probably the bigger one. is being open to new ideas and new ways to make things work. Um, And that's you know that's kind of where I think it goes into crypto. Because I remember the the first time my buddy told me about it, I was in a hotel room in Shanghai. My buddy actually wrestled me in college, but he lives in Australia now. He told me, and I'm like. Oh shit. How do I buy some of that? Like, that's the thing. And um, I always laugh because when I first got on, well, for number one, it was really hard to buy stuff. Yeah. Um, what year was that? That was, I uh, was July of 2017, maybe. Um, so probably, you know, not super, super early, but early that's compared to a lot relatively of Relatively around
0: when I got into it too, late 2016, early yeah. 2017. Yeah.
1: And so I remember the, the maximum you could buy in a week was at least for me was $4,000. And it took me like, you know, uh, six weeks to get that amount lifted and raised. So it was frustrating because like, yes, I see this and I see it going up and I get it. Um, and I just couldn't get my money in fast enough. I wanted to get it in faster. And then the second thing that's funny and something you actually have been tweeting about a lot lately is, uh, I believed in it so wholeheartedly and I still do. Like, I think it's the future. The first time my buddy talked through it, I'm like oh, this is the future. This is for sure the future. Um, but I didn't take any money out. I took no profits. And now it's like, oh my God, I'm stupid. I probably should have taken a, a few profits. And to this day, I, st- I have sold a, a little bit of a few things. I still have sold zero Bitcoin.
0: I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And when I talk about taking profit, I was pretty clear. I view pit- Bitcoin as a savings account. So largely I'm not selling that. But when I see yeah. an altcoin go up 20, 30, 50, 100 X, I'm going to take something off the top so that I don't uh, experience that 2018 pain again, which I know we went through. But I think for most people still to just invest and hold and wait 10 years is probably the best way. It's just kind of painful when it's drawing down at those times. So what what was it uh, about Bitcoin when he told you about it that you got it so quickly and it resonated? Because I find that most people who came in in 2017... We're just speculating. They saw they didn't care about Bitcoin at all. They just saw something they could buy and everyone told them would go up.
1: Yeah. I so I think I I already knew central banks were shit. And they, <laughs> you know, they're, they're These are these are not good people. These are really bad no. people. And so I think it was, hey, this is something that's not controlled by anyone. It's decentralized. It's set up beyond the scope of control um of any single person or entity i think that was the thing that really got me um you know as we know and and america's had a largely successful central bank uh and a lot of americans don't look outside of america and you see you know there's countries right now that are inflating at 20 plus percent per year i mean some of them are way past that um and so just the entire central bank system in the world is is really sketchy um And that was, I think that's probably, if I had to identify one thing, that was probably it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So I have to imagine that your belief in it has only accelerated since, especially with COVID and the global economic meltdown. Because if you already recognize how shitty central banks were in 2017, then imagine taking a look at them in 2020. (laughs)
1: For real. (laughs) Uh, You know what the other thing that I guess... I was able to see, so I, I traveled to. I fought exclusively in Asia for a four-year period, 2014 to 17, when I retired for the first time. And I guess there's two other things that you know my eyes were already open to, in addition to the fact that I hated central banks. And I, I guess that was number one, the unbanked. You know, people not having access to the banking system. People in America don't really, for the most part, understand that, but that is that's a thing in a, a lot of parts of the world. Sure. Um, and then the other thing was the, the remittance payments. Um, so for me, that, that was like, oh my God, this is such an obvious use case of crypto is these, these remittance payments. So literally if you're in Singapore or Hong Kong and I, I've been to both these places, you will see like in Singapore on Sundays, like there'll just be these mass gatherings of people. And the first couple of times i like, what, what are all those freaking people doing over there? You know, I'm just hanging out, walking around. And it's like, they, they have to go to this very specific spot Um, right? Because the the wealth inequality between America and Mexico is, you know, say three to one ish somewhere like that. But from Singapore to um, Indo or Singapore to Philippines, it's like 30 to one. I mean, it's It's the the wealth inequality is insane. And so there's all these migrant workers who go to Singapore and they work and then they want to send money home and they want to send money home. They got to go to, you know, Western union or whatever. And it takes six days (laughs) And they charge the you 14% yeah. or something absurd. And so the ability for me to, to have my phone and I can send you money and no one can stop it. It doesn't need a third party intermediary. Like I can send it from me to you in, in one to two minutes probably.
0: Yeah, we could have been done by the time you even uh, described that, which is really incredible. And then you talk about, you boil that down even further and sending a small amount of money to someone across the world is basically impossible, right? So if those people yeah. are only making 10, 15, 20 bucks or something in a day, right? I mean, how do you send that to somebody with a bank? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's
1: for real. It's a huge problem. And a lot of people in America don't really see that. Um, and that's something that yeah, so again, so I think it was like a whole bunch of things all at once that just were like. As soon as you started describing it to me, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, <laughs> let's freaking go! How do I? How do I put all my money in there?" And you know, I could only get in four thousand dollars a week, but uh, I, yeah. I got in quite a bit, and I watched it go up, and I watched it go down, and now, you know, I lasted all the way through the bear market without selling anything, and I and now I'm here enjoying the the fruits of my labors.
0: That's a good lesson that if you hold long enough in a market that you end up uh, doing well, even though you have to suffer a lot of pain in between. I'm curious if living in Asia for four years, you had any like crazy tax stories. I I was in Japan for six months. Um, Obviously as an American citizen, no matter where you go in the world, you're going to pay your taxes right because yes. it's a citizenship tax it's not like you need to be using the roads that you're paying for did you ever get like uh ha- have situations where you had to pay taxes in one of those countries and in the united states because i had to pay a small tax in japan on top of the uh, taxes yeah. i paid on my earnings in the united states
1: um i didn't i didn't live there i fought there right. exclusively so i would spend like two-ish weeks every time maybe three gotcha. sometimes my family would come over go on vacation um a couple, I think Singapore withheld taxes. I don't know that a lot of the other countries did. Um, man, there's really only one person I'm scared of in the world, and that's the IRS. So, oh yeah, I always like double, triple check that and make sure make sure they get their money. Because to your point, they they will get
0: their money. Yeah, it's funny thinking back to 2017 when the narrative was like, we could trade Bitcoin and there's no taxes. Like that's what everyone was talking about back then, 2016, crazy, right? 17, and uh, now it's like they came with the heavy hand, and it's the worst market probably to trade for taxes because you know yeah. every time you trade an altcoin, every time you do anything, you're selling Bitcoin. And it's a taxable transaction. It's crazy. So is that,
1: is that not the case? So I don't really trade stocks. I have I had one investment account that I set up when I was younger, and then now since 2017, it's like why why would I buy anything else? And my buddy's like, you got to get 401k because it's tax deductible. It's
0: like
1: f <laughs> that. My Bitcoin went up by 800. Why do it's I need so, a 401k? You can it's suck. So it. like, it's
0: so hard to care. So hard to care. I
1: don't give a damn. Um, but so on stock trades. you? you would have to trade on you would have to pay taxes on every trade correct also or not right
0: you you pay on every trade but they're dollars to stocks so like it would almost be the equivalent of if you bought amazon stock and then you bought Mm -hmm. tesla stock with amazon stock and then viewing Mm -hmm. the amazon stock as a sale to get the tesla but the bigger issue being that they're viewing bitcoin as property or or but not as money right because Mm -hmm. if you just spent money and bought coffee you shouldn't have to pay taxes on your dollars is is you're not taking profit to buy a cup of coffee. So I think that going that entire other direction has been very bad for that. Do you think
1: they'll ever treat it as a currency?
0: I hope so. I mean, it would make a lot more sense in my mind for it to be treated kind of like Forex trading where you're trading currencies. Basically like I enter this much, this many dollars into the market. I do whatever I do in the market and I get taxed when I take my dollars out, it'll be so much more simple and that's the actual profit that you've made in dollars. But, uh, who knows if they'll be sensible. I think that we'll see more sensible regulation moving forward, but I'm sort of a eternal optimist. Yeah, for
1: what it's worth, I mean, so many people just didn't get it, didn't understand. Even today, there's, you know, I hear smart people say some things and I'm just like, I know I'm not as smart as you, but you sound like an idiot when you say that, (laughs) you know, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, we know that you didn't sell at all, that you held through all of this. Is that still your plan? I mean, you have a long-term belief in it. So for yeah. now, you think that we're in a long-term bull market, even if we see corrections. I mean, nobody knows when we're recording, but Bitcoin's making a huge correction as we speak, yeah. uh, dropping from 58,000 all the way down to like 45,000. So does that shake you at all or is it completely just become-
1: Yeah. There's so, of steel? Like you, um, you know- I- I start. I've taken a little bit the last couple of months and not in Bitcoin, but in a few altcoins just kind of cashed out because they have went up, I don't know, as ex- exponentially, I guess. Um, yeah. So it was like, it became to the point where such a large portion of my net wealth was in, uh, in crypto. And it's like, dude, as much as I believe in crypto, like, I don't think this is healthy. Like I need to cash out. So it's like, well, I don't want to keep it in cash. So it's funny because my bank account is really small. And so when I, you know, if I I, I cash out a little bit, I'll, Pay my house down a little bit, right? Or, or I we've we built buildings for my business, so I, you know, put some money into that, something to that effect. So I don't just like cash out and then just let it sit as cash in the bank. Same. I think that's a Can't bad idea. Yeah, Can't do that. Can't do that. I have been taking a little bit. I am very conflicted on whether I should cash some Bitcoin out at the top of this cycle just to buy more Bitcoin when it does drop down because I think uh, it has been cyclical in nature. I asked Michael Saylor that question and he made me feel like a terrible person if I even- (laughs) You can't ask Um, him anything
0: about taking profit.
1: (laughs) Yes, but uh, man, I kind of feel like, you know, say we get to October, November and it's at some astronomical number, it's going to be so hard to not say like, hey, let me just take out 20% of my Bitcoin I mean, la- last time it crashed by 80% roughly, Yeah. right? So if you would have sold at anywhere near the top, you could have bought, say, we'll just say for the sake of math, five to one. When it yeah, got to the bottom. Yeah, get five times
0: as much Bitcoin. Yeah.
1: So like when it gets into some astronomical sum, I'm not saying I'm going to go sell all of my Bitcoin, but to think that, hey, maybe I should sell 20%. And then when, when I go back down, I'm going to, you know, maybe I'll pay off my house a little bit and then maybe I'll buy four times more bitcoin when it goes to the bottom cuz the cycles yeah. both the tops and the bottoms and you if you want to correct me if i'm wrong but the tops and the bottom are predictable that it's like relatively 18 months is the top and then another 18 months is the bottom again right
0: right either way and it, even if you don't time it if you sell a bunch and then when it dips you just kind of start dollar cost averaging in and don't even try sure. to buy the bottom you're still going to end up way on top i mean it's just sensible to take profit on something that you've made a ton of money on if it can change your life in a, any sort of meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, people who make millions of dollars and start buying cars and stuff and then have to return them to the repo man a few months later, I, I don't want to be that guy. Um, but I agree with you. I think that I talk about taking profits all the time, but I'm not taking profits so that dollars can sit in a bank account to dollars. Like I, I do it to, like you said, pay off a house, buy some land, do something, put it into another hard asset. Yes.
1: Yeah. And so that's where it's like, um, my wife wanted me to buy a rental property. And uh, I said to her, like, well, I already have a, we have two buildings for my wrestling academy system and we we own our house. It's like, so I already have those real estate. It's like, wait, you want me to cash out on crypto to buy a dog shit asset? (laughs) Like, no, no, I'm not doing that. Like, why would I invest in anything else right now when I can invest in crypto? And if I'm going to pull something off the table, I'll pay off something I already have. And then- I'll probably when it goes the, you know, I'm anticipating quarter four and that's from people smarter than me. I'm not predicting. I'm just listening to smart people. Um, I will probably take some off the table and then hold some there. And then ideally buy more when it goes lower again.
0: It's official. The digital art market is going mainstream. It's been exploding this past year with over 10 million in sales in December alone. And it's just getting started. There's no better time than now to diversify your holdings with art investments which have long been seen as an asset class that's consistently outperformed the S&P 500. Maker's Place is the go-to premium marketplace for purchasing rare digital artworks from the world's top creators, like comic art legend Jose Delbo, Trevor Jones, Digital Wizard Pac, artists collected by MoMA, Guggenheim, and many others. They have new artwork drops twice a week where collectors have the opportunity to add a coveted piece of rare digital art to their portfolio. Artworks from these drops have a history of selling out within seconds of release, and have been reselling several months later for upwards of 10x. Collectors can subscribe for exclusive drop notifications on makersplace.com slash the wolf. You don't want to miss out on this action. Trust me. Guys, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that one of the most exciting use cases of crypto now is to earn yield and also to take low interest loans, especially since you earn next to nothing in your crappy legacy bank account. Nexo is leading the charge in this arena with 360 degree crypto banking services. One thing that i'm really excited about that's new is that they have the nexo exchange it's a real game changer with more than 75 crypto and fiat pairs to swap between instantly without leaving the nexo wallet app and with prices fixed at order submission their smart routing system gives a best price guarantee by connecting you to multiple exchanges Now, if you're looking to park your crypto and earn yield, you can make up to 12% annual interest for doing absolutely nothing. If you're looking for a loan, they have them for as little as 5.9% APR and you don't have to sell your crypto, which we all know is a taxable event. The credit lines are also dynamic, meaning that as the value of your crypto goes up, So does your available credit. This is so cool and innovative. I've never seen something like that before. So please check them out at nexo.io slash exchange and put your crypto to work for you. Okay, so with a weird, some might say, semi-post-apocalyptic 2020, very much done and dusted, it's time to tear the new year in two and send your Bitcoin into play with a killer promo from the team at BitCasino. Drop a 5-milli-Bitcoin minimum on any of the platform's 2,000 or so Bitcoin slots and get 200 free spins to use on the Legacy of Dead. To claim your 200 free spins, use the promo link bitcasino.io slash scott. That's S-C-O-T-T. Log in or register an account, head over to the rewards section, and enable the bonus called Legacy of Dead 200FS. Wager 5-milli-Bitcoin on any slot game after that, and you'll get 200 spins on the house just for being you. BitCasino was ahead of the crypto game before the game got going. The original Bitcoin-led online gaming destination, they continue to set the standard for fun, fast, and fair gameplay. Deposit, wager, and withdraw on Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Tron, and more. All in real time, all the time, with BitCasino. Right. Moving along. So obviously, you've invested in some alts, or you've traded a little bit, and you've kind of uh, dabbled in that. Do you find that... there's any parallels between your competitiveness from wrestling? I mean, you've obviously been a competitor your whole life and how you approach trading or, or the market. So I
1: don't know. I'm not really. So I guess I, uh, well, I'll say I learned my lesson the hard way. I bought a handful of alts that went to zero after the ICO <laughs> bust and boom in 2017. Um, so I have, I do say Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, um, which are kind of three mainstays. Um, and then I bought some Cardano just because I heard a couple of really smart people talking really well about it. And it was, I bought it eight cents. So I, I'm doing tremendous on that. Um, and then awesome. the other thing that I have a large portion of my, so my buddy, um, he, he started a company called Flow Sports as, and he was a CEO for about 10 years and he, he kind of, um, he got pushed out and I had kind of gotten him into crypto, right? Where he started, started thinking about it. And he's actually started this company called Rockfin. It's a media platform. And they have a decentralized payment algorithm, which pays in Ray token. And because we're really good friends, I was one of the first creators on the network. And actually oh, cool. I-, I think his concept is genius. I think it's likely to go into other spaces, not just content creation. But the, uh, the idea is that is that digitized networks. So this could be Uber. Um, this could be Airbnb. It could be right Facebook, YouTube, whatever they they take all the profit and the people who supply the network with value get none of the profit yeah um so and then obviously as those networks get bigger they can actually squeeze the creators or the providers of service and so what they do is every single day there's a ten thousand token payout regardless of who's on the network and then obviously as the network gains more subscribers and followers the value of the token goes up and so when I earned my token at you know I, a lot of more like ten to fifteen cents, and now um, it's you know three dollars or whatever, I have seen my value grow with the network. And I I always say like Uber, Uber had a first ten drivers. How much did those guys get paid? Well, whatever the market rate was. Yeah. How much value did those guys provide to the network? Because without them, Uber doesn't exist. And you can say that with the first hundred, or first thousand. And so yeah. These, these, early adopters provide so much value to the network. And they, I mean, it's kind of like Bitcoin, right? The first people bought into Bitcoin, they saw their value grow with the value of the network.
0: Oh, uh, that, that, that makes so much sense. Incentivizing people to believe in you because those people are taking a huge risk, yeah. right? They could go to any platform, they could use some old legacy system where they know they're going to make money and they're rolling the dice on your mm-hmm. idea. So they should definitely get paid and it's sad. And crypto does solve that in a lot of different projects. It's really, really cool. I was more just thinking because I'm a very competitive person. So like as a trainer uh-huh. and investor, the first, the biggest problem for me initially was that I just hated losing. So like I, mm. if, if my balance was going down, it like emotionally affected me. I thought I was like not winning. You know what I mean? More uh-huh. even than the, more even than the dollar value dropping, I just hate losing. And yeah. I know you've got to be that way. I mean, you're Olympian.
1: <laughs> oh man. I don't know. Um, I kind of see it as a separate from me. You know, I guess maybe because it's not my main point of focus. And I, and, I, and I don't actually trade a lot. I mostly just buy and sold a really small portion of what I've bought. Um, no, I mean, I love partying on people when Bitcoin goes up. And, you know, I, so I lived <laughs> through the entirety of the bear market. I didn't sell shit. I started my podcast, The Funky Crypto Show, with John in, like, the middle of the bear market. We started in, I right. think it was October of twenty. 20- 19 right so that was like dead smack yeah, in, the, in the middle of the bear yeah. market um yeah so i know i don't i don't get too down um maybe in the beginning when i lost because I, I probably went up 3x from my initial investment 3 to 4x in the beginning and then i went down by like you know 90 percent or yeah. Yeah. 85% i think a lot of people or- have been there
0: that's Whatever. good, though. It means, means you're, you're you're stone cold emotionally. I mean, I've gotten yeah. over that long since. I, I find the same thing. Like, I get pissed off if I lose a fantasy football game, but I can, like, sit here and huh. watch Bitcoin drop, and it's fine, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a strange problem. So well, I'm, I'm curious, how did you meet John, and why did you decide to start the podcast? I came on, it was, like, the most fun I've ever had in a 30-minute in a or 45-minute conversation. You huh. guys are doing a great job.
1: Yeah, let's see. So John just started reaching out to me i don't i don't even remember why at this point point. and i said something like hey bro uh there's ufc milwaukee if you want to stop by just hit me up when you come in town or something something that effect and sure enough this dude showed up and hit me up so i'm like okay let's go let's go to dinner um well at dinner we kind of you know he's friendly we hit it off and um that was kind of what started it and then you know kind of maintained a friendship for a while and then, I, like I said, I love crypto and I believe in it, and I think it's going to help. I think it has helped a lot of people. And it's going to continue to help people. So then, I had been podcasting for wrestling a lot, and I just said to him, like, "Hey, why don't we start an MMA podcast? I'm sorry, MMA. Damn it, many podcast. Why don't we start a crypto podcast? <laughs> I uh, I know I'm not the biggest expert in the world. I and you know he he's he's smarter than he lets on. Oh, he's um, a smart but guy. He also. Yeah wouldn't be like an expert expert but i'm like dude i got a huge following and we can just talk like normal people about crypto because to that point most of the crypto podcasts i'd listen to it's like dude you got to kind of be deep to listen to this like you got to yeah. your shit otherwise you're not even going to start and that was kind of how we started
0: i think that's really really uh, smart and really important because like the number doesn't keep going up unless we get everyone in on this right
1: yes uh-huh. and
0: you need every person to be interested you need to speak to them in a language that that they understand I think you guys do a great job so that said with this huge boom have you guys noticed you know growth in the podcast or a lot more interest are people hitting you up about crypto a lot more than they were before yeah so uh
1: the podcast I would say the numbers have went up pretty they've been kind of trending upwards um, we get our best numbers on on Twitter because we go we actually go live on yeah, there. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's pretty, and John was the one who set that all up. Like I, I had no idea how to I'd do or anything. So yeah, so I like guess, you know, we, right now we're sitting at 13,000 viewers for yesterday. Um, That's just, yeah, it's just on Twitter. So yeah, it's going really well. I, I was, I always laugh though. I told so many people to buy Bitcoin. Um, pretty much that. So I got in, let's see, August, July, August, 2017. You know, the run-up was relatively short. It was only like three to four months. Yeah. And then it was started going down. And so from that peer went down, I still believed in it. I told so many people to get into it. And, you know, so we really had probably a, I know we had a little bump up in what, 2018, I think, or 20, I don't know. We had a bump up at some point in there, but there was a long stretch where it was under $10,000, like a really multi-year stretch. Yeah. And I tried telling so many people to get in especially March 13th when it crashed. And I think there was one person that I know that bought under $10,000. And I think I know about 20 people who've bought over 20 at over 20,000. Um, and it like, they needed that for them to get into it. And now every of them's like, Oh, I bought it 24. I wish I would have listened to you when it was five or seven or whatever, you know?
0: Kind of goes back to what you were saying about being the one who's willing to commit to it early, right? Yeah. People love to mm-hmm. ride the train and come in later. I've had the same, same kind of uh, experience. People just starting to come in super late, buying over fifty thousand even <laughs> because they're starting Seriously. to finally hear about it. But I mean, in general, you know, have you do you think that we have a much more public awareness and people interested in the space than the past previous few years when you've been here?
1: Oh yeah. For sure. I mean, and there's just there's just there's more recognition. Um, there's there's so many more resources now than there were. It's so much easier. I mean, buying buying Bitcoin in 2017 was maybe not all that tricky. Buying anything besides Bitcoin in 2017 it was very tricky, bro. It was so Dude, hard. Dude, that
0: what, the first time I went on Bitrex and everything was like in Sats, and I was like, yes. what? Like, is this some weird casino? Am I getting hacked? What's happening oh, right now? So oh, it's so wild.
1: Yeah. And then the other thing, the other thing in 20, 2021 now is like, there's really not any more fun. Um, There's nothing else to say. I mean, the, the one thing that people have been going, Oh, it produces a lot of carbon emissions. Like that's their best argument at this point. There's nothing else they can say anymore. And, you know, in 2017, that was, there's all kinds of crazy stuff being said. And now 2021, you're not hearing like almost anything.
0: Yeah. I mean, you hear the opposite. You hear big companies now totally supporting it and calling it a hedge. I mean, you talked to Michael Saylor. What was that experience like? Cause I talked to him too. And I was like, couldn't sleep for three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: He, he's brilliant. Um, and, and just, he, he's both brilliant. And then also the way he kind of lays things out is, uh, so, so intelligent and so smooth. Um, he's been kind of a godsend for the crypto community. Um, I feel like he's been this guy leading the charge and he, and he leads it so well. Um, and now obviously what he did, like, was it? Two, two to three ago now with the, the CEO conference, you know, we saw, yeah. we saw publicly now they've brought in Tesla, uh, largely due to that conference. And I got to assume there's going to be a whole bunch more that are already buying that maybe haven't announced yet, but the notion that Tesla would be like the one and only out of 10,000 is, is so ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I think there were at least 2,000 there. I, I said this the other day, I was like, if 5% of them were, were convinced, then that's like 100 companies. Yes. And we've only seen like six or seven companies so far. And look yes. what it's done to price. I mean, imagine if we see like Apple or, or Google or one of these, but even mm-hmm. smaller companies, man, it's, it really is kind of all happening. It's so crazy. I never okay. thought that we'd have a guy like Michael Saylor and Mark Cuban like out there talking about crypto yeah. as Mark sort of Cuban, like Mark Cuban
1: he's annoying cuz it was only like Because he hated it. ago where he said <laughs> he'd rather have a banana than a bitcoin and it's like <laughs> I mean I guess maybe great you came to the light and I and I appreciate I always think the smartest people can change their minds right That's dumb so people true. are the ones who get stuck in this thing and you know like Michael Saylor had that really famous old tweet where he was talking shit on bitcoin yeah, it was like
0: 2013, was like 2013 of course yeah, it was who cares
1: really long time ago and smart people have the ability to change their mind. When, when new information comes to light, they read it, they think about it. And if it doesn't match with what they previously thought, they're willing to change their minds. So uh, I'm glad Mark Cuban's finally came to the light, but he was so annoying for so long.
0: He was, but Wasn't it's he? nice to see. Yeah, but then, you know, to admit that you're wrong and go the other way, like, I definitely respect that. But the point being, I just, I still didn't foresee that we would be, like, relying on guys like Saylor and Elon Musk in 2021 like carrying bitcoin up. It really is like a dream. It's crazy. Elon
1: Musk is I mean he's one one of those ones that it makes so much sense. And oh yeah. Like you had to figure it was going to happen, but when it actually happened it was like, yes, this is tremendous.
0: So I I'm, I'm curious like you're in it are you seeing in the sports scene, specifically in wrestling, are you seeing more people care about this? We obviously see stories like guys in the NFL getting starting to get paid in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we saw Dinwiddie like tokenize his salary and stuff. I like, do you that think that the, it's that's gaining?
1: Fascinating, actually, yeah,
0: yeah. Do that's you think cool. that we're gaining any traction with athletes?
1: Um, I mean. There's definitely an awareness, and there there kind of has been for a long time in mixed martial arts, and I think mixed martial arts kind of people are um, okay. They, they think outside the box a lot, um, and so we've seen that in mixed martial arts. As far as other sports, I I can't really say that I have a, a finger on right. their pulse at all, um, but I th- I think it's just everyone's going to be a, a, you know figuring this out that this is the way that this is the future within. Maybe not, you know, if it's not this cycle, it's the next one. So what we're maximum, probably five years away from that happening.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I would say MMA guys are uh, inherently risk takers, right? Yes. Risk takers (laughs) and outside the box thinkers
1: not willing to kind of, are willing to kind of be on their own. That's, that's definitely the case.
0: Do you think like you have to be a really programmed differently or wired differently to be a fighter? (laughs) Oh, man. I don't want to get my ass beat on a daily basis, personally. You know, well,
1: that, So my, my one buddy always jokes that, that there's just such a little barrier to entry. You get all kinds of people because you know to be a professional, say, football player, you have to go through, you play high school football, you play college football, you get drafted. There's like this really systematic process to going... And, and, and to be a professional MMA fighter, all you have to be willing to do is take an ass whooping for 500 bucks. You can call yourself a pro MMA fighter. So, you know, I, I think we I think we just get all kinds, all kinds of people in our sport.
0: Uh, so, I mean, you said hey, that- I, you, Wait, Scott, are you in on this celebrity celebrity crypto boxing? We've been... No, but I'm down. Was, was, I'm not so, trying to fight uh, you. I'm not trying to fight you.
1: Jason Williams <laughs> said he wanted to fight Peter McCormick. And then I it caught on because- was... Our guest yesterday, BitBoy, he said he wanted to fight this guy, Jason Appleton, the Crypto Crow. Um, Okay. And so now we already got two matchups, so now we just need, like, a promoter. Who do you want to fight?
0: I don't want to fight any. I don't dislike anyone, man. I'll fight sailor for a billion dollars. Ooh, Michael. Sailor. I love the guy, but no, like, minute, for maybe I'll uh, oh, okay. fight sailor. Then I love that guy. Um, I'd fight Cuban. Um,
1: yes, there we go. There we go. Nice. I don't know.
0: Honestly, man, I've got in my old age, I have a very Zen like approach to life. I try to like, there's probably a thousand people hiding behind like Pepe and frog memes on Twitter that I, I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, if they came out in the open, but, uh, you know, usually the people take shots at me are anonymous. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, which is funny, but, but that's kind of the nature of this space is that you can sit behind your computer and, uh, act tough. But, uh, speaking of which, so you said you retired for the first time mm-hmm. earlier, right? Yeah. So, uh, then what was that like retiring and what made you come back?
1: Yeah. So when I, when I retired, I don't want to go through the whole saga of my career. I feel, I, I, I initially signed with Bellator MMA kind of in the, they were in season two. Um, so not, not right away, but, um, and I won that belt and I maintained that belt for roughly three years. Um, and when I was, when I finished my time there, um, I, I was, my plan was to go to DFC UFC. Cause I, I just love competition. I wanted to prove I was best in the world. It didn't work out between Dana and I um, for some reasons. And so I ended up going to one championship. So I fought there from 2014 to 2017, uh, was also the champ for roughly three years. And then it was just like, uh, I didn't have any challenges left unless I could go fight the guys who were ranked above me. Cause that was all I really wanted to do. I hadn't made enough money. Uh, I wanted to move on with my life. You know, we have these wrestling academies and, I, I, and there's other things I like to do. And so I said, I'm retired. If I ever get the opportunity in whatever way it presents itself to come back and prove that I'm the best in the world, I will, uh, I will take that opportunity and I will do it, right? So then a year, roughly a year later, uh, I got a call about a trade to, from one championship to the UFC. And at that point, and I guess still to this point, that's the only trade that's ever happened in the history of mixed martial arts. It's never been done before then. It's never yeah. been done after then. So um, I got traded for Demetrius Johnson to the UFC. And so I was like, okay, let me come out of retirement because I'm going to get this opportunity to fight the best guys in the world. Um, I fought three times. I won my first one. I got ranked as high as number four. Uh, fortunately I lost my second one and my third one. And then I had to, uh, I, so I, I don't like saying it this way. I had to retire because I had to have hip, hip surgery, even without the hip surgery, my career, my second retirement career wasn't going to last that long. Like I was right. coming back for a very specific purpose. If I couldn't do that, I was going to be retired again. And, uh, but I did have to have hip surgery. So I got my hip fixed um i wish well i wish i had known corona would happen and i would have got done way earlier uh <laughs> before corona but i got my hips fixed in september of last year and it's it's tremendous it's so much better um and then that retirement i said i'm retired if i have any just fun opportunities to come back i will consider them and so then that's why you know this jake paul thing i say this is not becoming a retirement this is like an old guy doing a hobby
0: <laughs> uh he doesn't view
1: it that way i would imagine
0: but uh yeah, it's like I a mean, celebrity boxing man
1: yeah he thinks for some reason he's actually good at boxing um i'm i'm intending to prove that is not the case
0: so how did it happen like uh you know there's uh, he's a youtuber obviously he yes. he he had his one celebrity fight with nate and uh he won but i mean that was against a basketball player
1: <laughs> yes yeah and then, so, and then he also fought against some other youtuber who was really really bad at um really really bad at boxing uh so he just like called me out and for what well, it was really strange he called me out and i said okay whatever and i thought it was just like you know a lot of hot air because i have a relatively big name he probably thinks i'm not great at stand-up because my background is wrestling um and i whatever okay i said tweet a couple times figured the pass. then like a couple weeks later they text me a few times am i like, okay yeah whatever if you guys want to fight, I. I like combat <laughs> and he paid me good. I'm in. And, uh, then they come out with silent again. And then, they, you know, they came back to the table and said, here's our offer. It was really good. Um, and then I said, okay, I guess, I guess I'm going to be a celebrity boxer.
0: So when is that fight happening and what does your training look like? Cause I, I would imagine even any fight you sort of have to take seriously regardless. Right. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm a pro. So I'm, I'm going to train. And I, I have been training, um, but it was, it's funny because I was in retirement. I was living my regular life, doing my regular things. And now it's kind of like, it's tough because you have to kind of reset and, and figure out how to schedule all your workouts within, you know, within the day that within everything else I had going on, right? My crypto podcast, my wrestling practices and everything else. Um, it's April 17th. Uh, I'm feeling really good. I'm really like, I can't believe. I hadn't punched anything in like 15 months right from the time i retired to uh when i when i decided to do this hobby i had not struck anything and so it was like it's funny how fast it comes back um and yeah That's i'm really good. excited for it
0: and where, where are people gonna be able to watch the fight
1: uh you know what i don't even know the answer. Uh, i don't even know the. but answer we, will. we will I'm we assuming, will i you will know. i will have an answer for you at some point in time i just don't know when
0: so, so what does that day look like now? Like, what does your average day look like with all of these different things going on?
1: Yeah, it's been oh man, it's been crazy. Especially the first, it's starting to slow down now. This is, I think, I'm only doing your podcast and maybe one other this week. But like the first couple of weeks, it was like, shoot, one one day I think I did like five or six podcasts. Like it was like it's it was exhausting. Yeah, so crazy. So, um, yeah, I. Uh, I train like about eight times a week, you know, so that means twice a day, a couple of times. And once a day, a lot of times I've, uh, I've brought in a couple of bi- extra boxing coaches. Um, just kind of that, that's it. It's, it's simple. You know, it's actually way more simple than MMA because the MMA, you have to have a jujitsu coach. You got to have your wrestling coach. You got to have your striking coach and you got to have your strength conditioning coach and boxing, it's just like, well, I'm going Go like, to you know, like <laughs> just punch stuff as much as possible. You know, I have a boxing coach and that's it.
0: But like are your days insanely long? Do you get up insanely early? Like you know, I'm not because- an early
1: riser. I'm way more productive at night. Yeah. So yeah, I, I always uh I'm probably like uh say seven thirty to eleven thirty. I try to get my eight hours of sleep every night, but I would say I'm like I said, like probably between eleven and midnight and then up between seven and eight, somewhere around there. Um, three mornings a week I have my wrestling podcast at eight fifteen AM. So I you know, I kinda get up, hang out with my kids a little bit, and then I come downstairs here, do my podcast and then Uh, we have wrestling practice at night and I'm, I'm going to kind of wean myself off of that as we get closer to fight. I'm going to coach a few less practices. I'm traveling a few times to do some training. Um, so yeah, more and more folks on the fight. And then after April 17th, I get get to go back to my real life again.
0: So what's the Academy like? What do you, what are you guys doing there? Are you training future professionals? Is it kids? Is it, you know, is it college students? What, what is it like?
1: Uh, so yeah, we're five through 18 year olds, only kids. We don't really coach any adults in any way, shape or form. Um, we're still, we have a ton of success. We've been, uh, really, really busy. Uh, we, we finished our state championships. We had 21 state champions. Um, uh, there's only 42 in the state of Wisconsin and we don't really have a lot of people in the smallest division. So, uh, in, in the biggest division, Wisconsin, the most highly populated, we had 12 of the 14 state champions. So, um, yeah, we're doing really well. We were like, we have a lot of guys that wrestling in college right now. So I, I guess our goal is just to teach them to love wrestling, to teach them to be good at it. And then ideally they
0: go and wrestle in college. I'm curious, I was shocked that I saw with the Jake Paul thing that there was like some media that think he's favored. Yeah, he's the betting
1: do, favorite right now.
0: I mean, listen- Do you find I'm that really, like incredibly motivating? What does that feel like?
1: Uh, I mean, it just, to me it's, and I've, I've known this for a very long time. The, the, it's the ignorance of the public, right? The public is not always have the best idea what's going on. Um, you know, I really only wrestled in my fights. I didn't do a gigantic amount of stand up. So yes, people do not think highly of my stand up skills. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like what what has he ever been good at in a, a, athletically? And the answer is, to my knowledge, is nothing. He's never been good at anything. And just because he beat up two guys who have never ever fought before doesn't actually mean he's good at boxing. It means he just picked really really weak opponents.
0: I mean, do you think that he legitimately believes he's like a professional level boxer that he's going to, that this is his, his future, or is it like a lot of hype and steam? Cause I I just don't get it.
1: I think he knows he's not really that good is what I have to imagine. Although, um, you know, there are certain cases where celebrities or people of high net worth convince themselves that they're good at something. And then people who are around them are like
0: lacking yeah. to them. enablers.
1: <laughs> they're enablers. And they'll never put that person in a position to realize, hey, you're dog shit um, in practice. So they, this person keeps this belief going um, because anyone who would tell them, and th- this is not just in athletics, right? This could be in other avenues. Yeah. B- business, a lot. Politics, also. my God, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, if they tell that person, hey, you suck, then they're gone. And so that's kind of, uh, you know, I think that's kind of, probably what's happening to my guess.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine. It's like a, like in a movie, you know, you got your like little hype man dude who runs around holding your yes. towels and tells you how amazing you are all day and start to believe mm-hmm. your own hype. Um, so back to, back to Bitcoin. Now, what, what do you see as the, you, you were talking about the cycle, clearly you think we're going much higher, 80, 100,000, you were kind of talking about. Do you think that it's reasonable to start talking about those 300,000, 700,000 million dollar targets? Or do you think that that's more euphoria?
1: Oh, I mean I, th- I think a million I kind of think like a million when I think about how big I think it's going to be sometime a million feels like a little bit low actually. Um and I you know I, I don't know if that's going to take 3 cycles. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, if it's take 20 years. I don't know how long it's going to take, but when you think about all the money if it really is the best money, which I I, I think it is. I would say hey, this is the best money that's I ever do. been created by human beings. Um everyone will want some and it's going to be worth way more than a million dollars. For this cycle I always just say, when people ask me, I say, listen, um, on the low end, likely six figures. On the high end, people are predicting three to 400,000. That's a gigantic window. It's going to be somewhere in there. Like I'm probably going to be right. It's going to be. It's so I Like I
0: I try to get my head mentally wrapped around like hitting 400,000 and then like having a 75% drop and being sad that we're at a (laughs) hundred. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I think, man, I feel like we're going to see like not Quite as steep of a drop i agree yeah i think we're gonna see something more like 50 to 60 you know which yeah, you know, i that think still that seems like yeah. a lot but compared to 75 to 80 last time it's
0: not yeah i mean i think that institutions are providing a floor that wasn't there before there's just much yeah. bigger money that doesn't want to lose uh, and and much more i think interest in buying mm-hmm. so i i know we're up against it here with time so where, where can everybody follow you after this keep up what you're doing and uh then we'll, we'll put out where they can watch the fight later. Awesome. Yeah, I
1: just, at Ben Askren on Twitter and Instagram, I'm way more active on Twitter. I think there's a much more intelligent community there. Uh, I do post on Instagram. I don't really love using Instagram. Same. Um,
0: the crypto Twitter community is, is tremendous.
1: So th- those two platforms uh, are really where to find me.
0: Yeah, and you guys check out the podcast as well. Well, thank you, man. I know that you're super busy uh, training and everything. Right, good, good luck with the fight, and thank you so much for for taking the time.
1: Hi, right, appreciate it, Scott. Have a good day. Hi, right,
0: man. You too. See ya. Let's go.